Welcome to Medical Minefield, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman, the health editor at The Mail on Sunday, and with me is The Mail on Sunday's deputy health editor, Eve Simmons. Hello. Eve, I'm going to tell you a story. Might surprise you. When I was young, I did ballet. Oh, I think I knew that. Did you? Mm, you probably mentioned it in conversation at one point. I, from the age of about four, I think, or five, I went to ballet classes and I was the only boy in, in my ballet class. Oh. And in fact, I think my mum had ambitions for me and uh, I went to, went to my classes and I, I even, I think I did an audition for the Royal Ballet School. <gasps> yes. Oh, what could have been? What could have been. But I didn't, I, you know, it, by that point, I, I felt like a bit of a a bit of an oddball because people at my primary school knew that I did it and I got absolutely hammered for, you know, doing ballet classes. I think that's awful. But I do feel it, 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 you know, maybe uh, was formative. I've never been afraid to to go my own way in life and be an outsider, even if I hated it at the time. I do, however, remember an incident where I was singled out by a very mean ballet mistress uh, when we were doing an exercise called Good Feet, Bad Feet or Naughty Feet good feet or something like that you had to point your toes and then point your toes up Mm. at the ceiling and she asked me if i had been in a car accident because my my feet didn't point very beautifully apparently and uh i think that was that's very ballet class Mm. old school sounds it yeah yeah what how did did you respond i don't remember i just i just remember looking at my feet and thinking what was wrong with them? Stupid would, feet. Would I never be? Would I never be that? You know, ballerina. That ballerina that I so wanted to be. Maybe that's what that's what put me off. It can still happen. But you know, there is an amount of natural physical ability that needs to go into those kinds of things. And I guess maybe I just didn't have it. What was? What were you into? As a, <laughs> <laughs> what sports did you do? I was like thinking, please don't ask me that question because I have nothing. Well, I always wanted to play the piano and I do have very long slender fingers. So I was always told I'd be wonderful at playing the piano. And we actually had a piano in my house that was there from when my parents bought the house. Anyway, and um, it was broken. It was it wasn't tuned. And I asked for years and years whether they would tune it and I could play. And they said no. So you had the physique to be a, a pianist, a concert pianist, but just uh, I could never none live out en- my my dreams because none of the encouragement. Exactly, yes. My parents were the opposite of pushy. So we're talking about this obviously because, well, not obviously, about inclusion in sport and participation. Um, you know what makes fairness. What makes unfairness? How do you get really good at a sport? Is it something you're born with? Mm. Is it something that you just train very hard? Can anyone be a prima ballerina or a concert pianist, given the right kinds of nurturing and environment? Or do some people have a, a physical advantage over others? The topic was very much or has been very much um, under discussion over the last few weeks because of the Olympics. And specifically the inclusion of one competitor, Laurel Hubbard, who is apparently the first ever trans athlete to compete in an Olympic Games. Trans athletes have been allowed to compete in the Olympics since the early noughties, I think, 2004. 2004, the Stockholm consensus, yeah, ruled that 
that trans athletes could compete. But that was to do with whether or not they'd had surgery. And in 2014, I believe, the rules were revised that it didn't involve surgery and that they had a level of hormones that they had to hit or a target of some kind. Is that right? Yes, there's testosterone, which is the male sex hormone that athletes have to be within a certain range um, if they want to compete in the female category. And testosterone is key because being exposed to large amounts of testosterone, I mean, you know, athletes who who get caught doping, uh, Mm. they are often taking things that enhance their testosterone, amongst many other things, because it makes your bones grow, it makes you stronger, it makes you more muscular. Testosterone is the reason that men are bigger than women. Yeah, and it's linked to, studies have linked it to power and endurance, which are key for... Um, competing at a high elite level in many of these sports. A decision obviously has been made to include trans athletes in competitive sport. And I think that that's something that would be broadly welcomed. Uh, Sport needs to be inclusive. Uh, You know, after all, this is about, it should be about fun. It should be about the spirit of competition. It should be about achievement. And that should be open to everyone absolutely and the idea that you know everyone can can be anything that they want to be and do anything that they want to be including compete at an elite level i was interested that the ioc's medical director richard budget said that although the the ioc has come up with a guideline that each individual sporting federation now needs to look at the issue uh, he said that, that the way that this will be done he said science will help experience will help and time will help. And I'm interested in talking about this because so often it seems to descend into opinion, uh, very much steeped in people's attitudes. And it can even kind of veer into this whole bogus culture war rubbish that seems to always come up when people talk about political correctness gone mad. And actually, you know, if this is to be a science-led conversation, I think it's something that's really, you know, valued for us to talk about on the podcast. I completely agree. I mean, the thing is, this subject is not about culture wars and it really isn't about political correctness at all. It's about science and it's about new evolving science. And interestingly, I wrote about this back in 2015. And at the time, it was very much, there were so many unanswered questions because there wasn't enough research and no one was really looking into it in detail. And even sort of, what are we, seven years on? The picture remains the same. It's very thin on the ground in terms of research. And there's not been much done on elite athletes, which, you know, the story for elite athletes is very different from you and me, the kind of regular people who are just doing, doing sport for fun. But there is a trickle down. You know, a, a, a very good friend of mine who is trans said to me just the other day, she's a brilliant climber, she's a great runner, she's a great cyclist, and she says she never enters competitions because she just said it would crush her mm. if she got pulled up and said that she shouldn't be there. So, you know, she's never going to go to the Olympics, that's not, that's not the goal, but she avoids even joining a local, you know, fun cycling competition because... She fears this kind of very toxic debate that's going on about whether or not it's fair that trans women are even allowed to participate alongside women who were born 
biologically female. Yeah, and what I mean, again, when I first wrote about this, there were athletes I spoke to who had tried to get to the point where they could participate in the Olympics um, uh, because, you know, supposedly, according to the ruling in 2004, they should have been able to, but they felt really discriminated against. They were subject to all of these invasive tests. Their kind of full medical history was traipsed over by people who weren't even medical professionals and they felt violated. And in fact, one of the athletes brought a, a a case to the uh, Court of Human Rights because she felt that she had been so treated so terribly. Um, and, you know, that's not inclusive at all. That's making people feel like, well, they shouldn't even enter in the first place. Well, first off, I think we should talk to one researcher whose work has paved the way for inclusion of trans athletes in elite sport, Loughborough University's Joanna Harper. Joanna, thank you very much for finding time to talk to us. People claim that trans women uh, in particular have an unfair advantage over cisgender women. What does science tell us? It's certainly true that trans women have advantages over cisgender women. On average, transgender women will be taller, bigger and stronger even after hormone therapy than cisgender or typical women. And those are advantages in many sports. However, that doesn't necessarily mean they're unfair. We allow advantages in sport, but we don't allow uh, overwhelming advantage. And we don't allow, when we subdivide sports into categories, we do so with the purpose of of having meaningful competition within that category. And, And if the advantages defeat the purpose for that category, then we shouldn't allow those advantages. So I would think that in most sports, after trans women have undergone hormone therapy, the remaining advantages are not large enough to make meaningful competition unreasonable in most sports. One of the reasons we're talking about this is uh, the inclusion of of Laurel Hubbard in in this year's Olympics has has sparked the debate yet again. It was a few years back when I think the Canadian cyclist Rachel McKinnon won a competition and uh, people people were talking about it um, back then too. I I was interested in comments you made recently in which you said that perhaps in terms of powerlifting that Laurel might have an unfair advantage or uh, you indicated that, uh, you know, perhaps that a trans woman might have an unfair advantage? So, as I said, trans women are certainly stronger on average than cisgender women. Now, powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting are two different sports, uh, and, and it's important to recognize that. But in either case, both sports are divided up into weight categories. And so trans women aren't going to be bigger than the women in the weight categories, they'll be the same size. And the fact that trans women are generally stronger than, than cisgender women also isn't applicable. The question is, are trans women pound for pound stronger is the question. And, and that's something that we don't really know yet. So if there is a, a significant pound for pound strength advantage, and if it's not mitigated by, by some other disadvantage, then perhaps it might be necessary to, say, put some handicap on trans women in the sport of powerlifting or, or weightlifting. And I would think it's more likely 
to be true in powerlifting than in Olympic weightlifting. As I say, the two sports are different. But at this point, we don't have enough science, enough data to say for certain whether those things are true or not. In a broader sense, when we talk about uh, sport, we're always looking at um, you know people who are that they have an unfair advantage often by their genes. For instance, you know basketball players are always seven foot tall, and you know runners might be extraordinarily muscular and lean. Isn't it almost a kind of a, a false debate? I suppose you know that these these elite athletes are always going to be extraordinary in different ways that you can't really sort of ever level a playing field because really, you know, you're looking for someone who is unfairly advantaged in some way always. Well, again, advantages aren't necessarily unfair. Certainly, it's true that in sports, we look for people with advantages and, and, and we celebrate them. You know, over the last couple of days, the advantages that Kirsten Warholm and Sidney McLaughlin have over everyone else in the world have been celebrated. And so, that's true, and we don't consider the advantages that those athletes have to be unfair. But when we subdivide sports into categories, we try to do so so that raw biology doesn't overwhelm the sort of advantages that we want to celebrate, things like all of the, the athleticism. And, 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 and it's hard to say. You know, you talk about tall basketball players, and yet there are some basketball leagues say, for people under six feet tall. And so in, in those leagues, then you wouldn't let extraordinary tall people play. But within the women's category, it's important to have very careful eligibility requirements. If women were forced to compete against men in elite sport, then women wouldn't win Olympic medals. They wouldn't get professional sports contracts. And I think that we could all agree, I, I hope, not not everyone actually would agree that women's sports is, is a very important thing to nourish and protect. So I, I think we need to be very careful with, with eligibility requirements. And, and that doesn't mean that we can't have trans women. In fact, I think we should have trans women in, in women's sports. I, I just think we do need to be very careful. You yourself have transitioned and you're a sports person as well. I mean, how have you found competing? Well, I've certainly faced backlash. I'm not an elite athlete. I'm, I'm pretty good. When I was young, I ran a 223 marathon in the men's category, which is a very good time, but it's not, it would never get me to the Olympics or a professional athletics contract or, or anything like that. But, but I've certainly had backlash. I, I, you know, I've had women say to me, you better not beat me, or they say it's unfair if I beat them. You know, I, I have a fairly thick skin personally uh, but it still must hurt yeah it, it, it hurts yeah and I think overall women are often discouraged from participating in sport and you say that you competed in a men's category uh, many years ago how do you feel overall competing as a woman do you feel that, that there are disadvantages that women face you know with so much focus on on men and men and especially young men being more encouraged to participate in sport you know that's a big barrier as well isn't it yeah i mean okay it, it's absolutely true and it's you know it, it's a very interesting thing that there are many of these people who are opposed to trans athletes competing you know, say they're trying to save women's sports, but 
you know, it, it's interesting. They're, they're not talking about increasing funding for, for women's sports or, or making the barriers to women's sports go away or making sport more accessible for women. The, the only thing that they want to do to save women's sports is, is to preclude this very small repressed minority of, of humanity from competing in women's sports. So there are all kinds of challenges that women athletes face that, that male athletes simply don't have to think about. And I absolutely have encountered many of those, not, not all of them. Um, obviously, cisgender women also have menstrual cycles to worry about, and there are those sorts of things that, that I don't have to worry about. But, but it's challenging in many ways to be a female athlete. Well, look, Joanna, it's been fascinating to talk to you and and thank you for being so patient and explaining matters to us. Well, that was fascinating, but it seems that not all scientists agree with Joanna's take. So we're going to hear from someone now who has a slightly different view. On the line now is Professor Ross Tucker, who is a sports scientist and consultant with World Rugby. Ross, should Laurel Hubbard have been able to compete in the female category for weightlifting? No, not in my opinion. I, I understand that it's a very emotive, polarizing and, and complex for people uh, issue this. But to me, the issue is relatively simple. I'm a biologist, physiologist, so I'm, I'm maybe biased in that direction. But we must ask why women's sport exists. And the, and the answer is because women don't benefit from testosterone and other hormones like it during development. And the purpose of women's sport then is to keep those individuals who do benefit from those hormones out so that it creates fairness. And so I would argue that her presence there can't be guaranteed to be fair and should not be allowed to participate in women's sport. But the current rules state that women who are competing have to fit a certain testosterone level. Isn't that enough to to make it fair? I think the the current rules invite maybe the question um, because as I've just alluded to, the, the reason for the performance difference between men and women, and it is a massive performance difference in, in weightlifting, it's between 30 and 40%. In running events, it's 10 to 12%. In power, it's 30%. That male-female difference exists primarily because of what testosterone and other androgens, that's a word that literally means male-making, do during our development. Now, if you understand that, then most people would agree that there needs to be separation of categories. The solution that the authorities came up with to try and facilitate inclusion of trans women into women's sport was to say, all right, well, if the root cause is testosterone, then owing the testosterone takes away the problem and allows for fairness and inclusion at the same time. So really, the key question is, does it work? Does lowering testosterone take away male advantage and allow for fairness? Mm. And there are, there are now 13 long-term prospective studies that have tracked things like bone density and mass, muscle mass, muscle strength, body fat percentage. And not a single one of those suggests that lowering testosterone removes the advantage. So what the science is showing is that there's almost like an asymmetry where once testosterone has done its work in the body, lowering it doesn't take away the advantage. So where before you would see a 30 to 40% strength difference, the testosterone reduction takes away about 10% at most. Where before you would see differences in bone mass and strength, testosterone reduction does nothing. Muscle mass, between 40 and 50% difference, only takes away about 5 to 10%. So the conclusion is that the, the fix, quote unquote, doesn't work. 
and that even after lowering the testosterone levels, there is likely a significant retention of those biological differences that create performance advantages. So the policy then isn't fit for purpose. Ross, but there are studies that show that women who have transitioned do lose a competitive advantage um, after around two years. In fact, one was published in January uh, looking at Air Force personnel and Mm. in many physical attributes... After two years, there was no difference between cisgender women and trans women, for instance. Yeah, so in that study, they measured three performance tests. One was push-ups, one was sit-ups, and the other one was a one-and-a-half-mile run. And the one-and-a-half-mile run never returned to normal, so the trans women retained an advantage even after three years. In the sit-up and the push-up task, yes, the, the performance of the trans women after three years was the same as cis women. The big question about that, and, and I even contacted the authors to ask and didn't really get an answer, is when you're in the military and you're doing these tests, these fitness assessments, you have to achieve certain targets. So, for instance, you have to do, say, 42 push-ups in one minute or 38 sit-ups in one minute. And those targets are different for men and women. So I wasn't sure whether the, the trans women in that study after year three were being asked to hit the men's targets or the women's targets because – If it was the women's targets, then obviously they'll be the same as the women because they're all aiming for the same standard. So I wasn't I wasn't entirely sure about that, but the but it it might well be that in some tests like submax endurance, which is what a push up or a sit up test does, you can remove more of the male advantage than in others. Whereas when it comes to maximum strength or maximum speed or power, those advantages are retained. So with this leads to is the possibility, which it might be where this goes, that some sports will have to have a policy that differs from others because A, the male-female advantage to begin with is different. B, the degree to which testosterone reduction changes the biology is different and therefore the fairness outcome or implication may differ. So a sport-by-sport policy might be by the next Olympic Games what we're looking at. Mm. I was going to say the IOC have indicated that that's the way that they want to go, that the individual federations are going to have to come up with ways in which to make inclusion fair. It certainly looks like the steps are being taken to include trans people in elite sport, although, you know, not many are included at the moment. Overall, do you think that science will find a way to make sure that people are included fairly? I don't know whether science is trying to find a way as opposed to explain reality. Um, So when I look at the third studies that have been done, it's very difficult to see how their finding can be changed to then allow you to conclude that fairness will will exist whilst inclusion is prioritized. So the tricky bit, and and just by the way, the, the, the other imperative we haven't touched on is safety. So in weightlifting, there's no safety concern for other participants, nor would there be for running and swimming. But there are some sports, the combat sports and the contact sports, where safety is an, is another imperative. So a sport that has player welfare or injury concerns has managed three imperatives, inclusion, fairness, and safety. And so for them, the, the equation might be quite different, obviously, because um, if safety concerns arise as a consequence of strength, mass, and power differences – then inclusion might be even more difficult to achieve. Do you mean so sort of I, combat sports, for instance? Yeah, combat sports, boxing. So, for instance, the, the largest difference that's ever been documented between male and female is for the power in a punch, which is 160%. So 
men are able to punch 160% more forcefully and powerfully than, than females. So in a sport like that, where the objective is physical contact, um, it might be different. So if the objective is inclusion and fairness and safety are not perhaps as significantly uh, weighted, then I think it might be possible for some sports to go with inclusion. But I, I just, I've not seen anything that suggests that inclusion and fairness can be achieved at the same time with the same weighting. So more likely to me, based on all the evidence, is that sports will have to make a decision about which one matters more and then choose A in spite of B as opposed to A and B together. I'm, I'm interested to know what you think about, you know, for instance, when the Williams sisters came on the scene, they dominated so much. And at the time, there was comments made about, you know, their levels of testosterone, uh, very offensive. But it was it was used to kind of explain away the fact that they were so strong and maybe it was steeped in, you know, racial stereotypes or racist tropes mm. even. And obviously they have a physical advantage, which is why they're yeah. so great, you know, yes. uh, and, and they've trained and trained and trained. You know, they would beat most men. It's, it's obviously it's a spectrum. It's a grey area, this fairness issue, isn't it? No, I don't think it's grey at all. I, I mean, if we, if we take the Williams systems, we could do the same. I mean, everyone's watching the Olympics now. And on Saturday, we celebrate Elaine Thompson, who wins the 110.61 a time that would beat most men, but there would still be thousands of men and many boys. I mean, there were 16-year-old boys running faster than Thompson, just to show you what a, a 10 to 12% difference male and female makes. But we celebrate Thompson because she has advantages over the other women in the race. We celebrated the Williams because of that advantage in the same way that we'll now celebrate Naomi Osaka when she returns. We'll celebrate um, Keely Hodgkinson, who wins the uh, silver yesterday in the 800. So... The whole, the whole purpose of sport is to find advantages through competition and then celebrate them and reward them. The problem is that those advantages have to be meaningful to the outcome. So if we, if we were to take a step parallel to, to the sex issue and say, well, what about in boxing? We have weight categories. We have heavyweights, middleweights, and lightweights, to be simplified. Now, the reason we do that is because if we didn't, the only boxers who'd ever achieve success would be heavyweights because all things being equal size is decisive it's such a decisive factor mm. that a small a good small one will never beat even a a vaguely good big one mm. and so because of the categories it allows us to celebrate things like speed agility balance coordination endurance uh, hand-eye coordination and so now we can celebrate a middleweight in the same way that we celebrate a heavyweight now the same is true for sex our ability to celebrate Elaine Thompson-Hera winning gold or the Williams Systems winning all the Grand Slams only exists because there's a separate category for women. If the moment say that the, the, the advantages are natural and therefore we should allow male advantage into female, you're actually arguing against a category because then you might as well take the next step and say, well, in that case, if all advantages are natural, have all humans compete in one competition and see who has the natural advantages. And the answer is that they'll all be males. Because as good as the Williams systems were, and yes, they'd beat most men, there are 500 to 1,000 men who would beat the Williams systems. So, so therefore, the, the creation of a category is intended to protect fairness and integrity. And once you create it, you have to defend it. And this idea that there are advantages, that we allow advantages in sports, so therefore we should let this one go, is false. Because... 
males have advantages over females. So we could say, oh, the Williams systems are strong, but they're only strong relative to their in their category, which is against other women. Against men, they are, would be nowhere. Well, listen, Ross, thank you so much for sparing the time today and explaining things so, so clearly. Hi. Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. I found it difficult to argue with Ross regarding the fact that when you look at the science purely it does seem that there would be an unfair advantage in this situation. I feel like what it is, it's it's the line between advantage and unfair advantage. And, you know, we've agreed that doping is an unfair advantage. It's very obvious. But I don't think scientifically there is as obvious an answer as to whether, for instance, having gone through a male puberty and then gone through treatment to transition to female gives you an advantage, slight, if it's there, or specifically an unfair advantage in that discipline. We just, as you say, there's not enough research really to say yet. I think it seems that theoretically there would be, but I don't think we've seen how this plays out in performance in a kind of controlled scientific way. And there's so many things that we gloss over when we talk about advantages. You know, I believe that certainly economics is a huge unfair advantage. You know, you see uh, who's at the top of the Olympic medal leagues. It's the most wealthy countries on the whole who have these huge halls of medals and it's because they can plough millions and millions and millions into hot housing athletes and you know these much smaller countries that don't have that resource can't do it and so their athletes are at a disadvantage I'd say it's probably quite unfair that you know just because they don't have all those economic advantages you know there's so many different things at play in terms of elite sport and you know i have to say what is really unfair is the idea that huge numbers of people are discouraged uh, from participating in sport you know that women as a whole are disencouraged from sport for many reasons you know that the certainly women's elite level sports aren't seen on a level level pegging that they're not funded as well they're not watched as well they're slightly made fun of i suppose as well by by male uh, you know commentators often there's a whole world of unfair advantages and disadvantages and but that's what the critics say though isn't it they say some will say and i'm not saying that i say this but some will say that by letting trans women compete in female categories you are therefore kind of undermining women's sport in in general because you're creating setting up this potential for unfair advantage um which means less cis women are less likely to do well i'm not saying that i say that and also i think that that very quickly leads to this conversation about a slippery slope that this is going to keep happening and it's it's opening the door for men to decide to transition and just so that they can beat women when actually i think that's absolute nonsense that's not going to happen you know there's a tiny tiny proportion well there's a long way to go isn't there before Mm. you know 
large numbers of trans women and trans men feel comfortable enough to start competing. Absolutely. I and I think people forget also that with elite athletes, we're talking about a really, really small subsection of society. It's tiny numbers of people who are kind of able enough to compete at that level. And then within that, you then have people who are trans, which is an even smaller percentage of those people. Mm. Um, but there is this trickle down effect, you know, mm. uh, that Joanna said herself that she'd had all kinds of comments and she had to develop a thick skin just to go cycling. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely terrible. <laughs> just terrible we should be encouraging as many people as possible to get into exercise i mean it's difficult enough there are barriers enough barriers for people i would like to think that science is going to keep looking at this and and keep trying to come up with the best and most equitable ways of uh, finding inclusion for everyone you know no matter where they're from or what kind of body they were born they into are, yeah and i think that's what the spirit of something like the olympics should really be about and personally i i i find and i think a lot of people have been watching some of the smaller sports this year because actually it's it's much less interesting watching the athletics now when you have these people that you know are almost i mean i'm not saying that they they are chemically tweaked but that it's like like lab grown people that they're so singular they're so you know it's their full time job and you know i was watching the climbing i come back to that cuz i'm a cl climber but mm. you know it's 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 great cuz i know some of these people mm. that are competing and you know that that they are you know just ordinary people who have really 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 worked really hard to get really good at something and yeah that's what you want it's really, like when it? you're talking about advantage i mean you know these kids that have been trained from the age of five to be this olympic athlete and everything in their life has been dedicated to that and they've had the kind of financial backing to be able to do that and mm. you know the education and whatever and how many kids are afforded that well years ago it used to be you know you'd get you know bob the builder going to the olympics because he happened to be really good at shop yeah. or you know it was it was much more you know it was a big business sadly that i was never granted that opportunity yes and i will never be a ballerina oh um well that's all we've got time for you'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's the mail on sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts videos opinion pieces and more you can also follow us on twitter by searching at mail plus We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye.